0: Many of you know I'm somewhat of a fashion nerd. Having grown up in the South, clothes were a way to feel as though I could live like those in the big cities of New York and Los Angeles. It serves as escapism for a lot of people, and I think today's guests would agree. Nick Roberts is the PR front behind some of the most celebrated brands in menswear, as well as a little company called Hodinky, formerly the world's largest watch blog, but could very well be dubbed the world's best watch-related lifestyle brand of today. I sat down with Nick to chat about growing up outside of Chicago, reading Esquire and GQ, and what exactly a public relations company actually does. I was fascinated with Nick's story and how he began his company, Lawrence & Co., because he's only been in operation for just over a year and has clients that can only be characterized as some of the most renowned menswear businesses in New York City and, in some cases, arguably the world. A few takeaways from this chat are most certainly the fact that knowing what your passions are and planning ahead can be instrumental for one's career, as well as the human connection is still, in fact, paramount in today's digital age. I'm your host, Wesley Smith, and you're listening to The Standard Age Podcast. Nick, thank you so much for
1: doing the podcast welcome to the show thank you thank you for having me honored to be here
0: yeah absolutely well um let's talk a little bit about
1: your upbringing sure where'd Uh, you grow up grew up i grew up in a town called McHenry, illinois okay it's about an hour and a half northwest of chicago and sort of an hour and a half southwest of milwaukee so kind of on the illinois wisconsin border um you know, a small town, it's a little bit bigger now, but, you know, probably about 15,000 people now, but, um, yeah, I mean, I go back quite often just because my family's still there, um, probably every, you know, three months or so, and uh, it's just nice to be home, but that's where I kind of grew up, um, yeah, so I am kind of think, what else can I say about McHenry? Um, What'd your parents do? So my dad works in real estate, still working, um, and my mom was a teacher. And also stayed at home too, so she raised us. I'm the third of four, so I have one brother and two sisters, and they're all back in Illinois now. And I'm the odd guy out who's still on the East Coast. And the, my mother's the always lone like, wolf. The lone wolf, and my mother's always like, "When are you moving back to Illinois?" And I always say, "When they have an industry that can support my life." So, <laughs> um, so we're not quite sure when that would happen. But so I think I'm going to be on the East Coast for a little bit while longer.
0: Sure. Well, look, what were the things that you were doing as a kid? Like, what were you into?
1: Oh, I mean, growing up, big sports guy. Uh, I mean, that basketball. I mean, growing up in Chicago in the 90s, you had the Bulls, obviously. Um, Growing up with, you know, Michael Jordan and things like that, we would always have. um, I mean, there are harder times now, you know, still a Bulls fan, but (laughs) we'd always have, you know, neighborhood parties uh, where we would had everyone over and we would put the TV out or like on the screen in porch and get a cardboard cut out of Michael and do all that sort of stuff so basketball um, actually basketball played a big part of my life I was a pretty serious basketball player growing up even though I'm not that tall you know I kind of you know peaked in sophomore year of high school in my growth spurt um, which was unfortunate um, but basketball always played a big part of my life and then uh, play a lot of tennis so I was also a pretty very competitive tennis player um, you know you know state all that sort of stuff travel tennis that sort of thing but for me growing up in that area like sports was the thing and also kind of like being the third of four you kind of got to find your your spot within the family and sports was my thing you know everyone else had their own thing but sports was my thing so
0: i feel like most people from chicago are they're always into sports
1: you know, I think, you Be know, guys,
0: girls, sure, no matter maybe what.
1: this is a hot take, you know, sorry for other sports cities, but I, I honestly, you know, and I'm probably, you know, jaded in, in my opinion, but I think Chicago is the best sports city. Well, you have um, everything. We have everything. There's just such passion about it. And also just like such cultural icons of sports come from Chicago. And I mean, like, also, I like, think there's a whole Saturday Night Live skit just like based on, you know, like the 85 Bears, the Bears. You know? Yeah. So it's kind of like sports in chicago have just sort of like transcended to become a cultural thing in itself so
0: sure so what um did any of those sports take you into school were you scholarship or i wasn't scholarship like that? Okay. i
1: wasn't good so i mean i wasn't good enough to i mean like
0: <laughs> you were traveling but not scholarship
1: yeah i mean like i was good enough in tennis to play like division three and so i had a couple offers to do that however for me um i didn't want to go growing up i grew up in a small town Um, but I always sort of had big city aspirations. I just knew I was a city person, even though I had never really been to a city very often. I mean, Chicago was close, but I didn't go there too often. Um, but I just always knew that like I was supposed to be sort of like in a metropolitan area. That's just, I kind of had that feeling for myself. And so when going through college and trying to figure out, you know, what I wanted to do with my life, um you know sports is one way but I was like I'm never going to be a professional athlete there's no way I'm going to like be able to support my life doing this so um even though I had those couple offers for like d3 things I was like you know what it's great it'd be cool but like I didn't want to go the you know no offense to Iowa just didn't want to go in the middle of nowhere Iowa and have nothing around me and just like be in a spot for four years um so I decided not to do that and just went to Marquette University in Milwaukee Wisconsin so which was a nice um buffer for me because for me i had always wanted to move to new york in high school i knew it um basically funny enough is kind of this could maybe transition to the whole career thing we can get into but funny enough i was always interested in fashion um i think of it kind of came from um, my dad because my dad wore a suit every day to work and that sort of thing and he would shine his shoes every sunday night and so
0: is he commercial real
1: estate? Commercial real estate. Basically, if the best way, I, like one of the best ways I kind of describe it, if like you're flying into O'Hare or something and you see all those big industrial parks around the area, like they built and managed those. That's what he did now. But like, you know, during, you know, me growing up with him, he's done other things. Like, you know, used to manage commercial properties, like malls around the Chicago area and that sort of thing. He did that for a while. And then also mostly commercial real estate stuff now too. Nice. Um, but uh, kind of going back to, that thing I just always knew I was gonna move to New York I wanted to be involved in fashion but um, I didn't know how to do that because I'm from a small town I had no idea I'm like I would get Esquire and GQ and I would see those you know fashion spreads and get inspired but I never knew that that could be a job or something like that um, and then funny enough uh, Project, Run- Project Runway came on and I um, I was like, oh, my God, there's a school you can, like, learn about fashion. And, um, and this was junior year of high school. and
0: Now you're talking about Parsons?
1: Yeah, exactly. So when um, I'm like, oh, my God, like, they did that. There's a thing out there. And I kind of changed courses. And I was like, oh, my God, like, I can potentially go to school and do this. So, you know, when I bring it up to my parents, they're like, well, Maybe you shouldn't do that quite yet. One is because like you've been to New York once in your life for a family vacation. That doesn't really count as living right? Uh, there two, uh, You know, it's far away. It's a big city. Like you don't have any support network there. Um, and three, like maybe it would be better if you went to someplace a bit closer because I was still a bit of a homebody, even though I, you know, I still had these big city aspirations and they said, well, maybe you should find something a bit closer. So I ended up uh, at Marquette and what happened was, is like, okay, so I thought to myself, what would probably be the best way for me to get to Parsons or FIT? Either or, I was still trying to figure out sure. that. Sure, yeah. And how, and for me, it's like I wanted to be involved in uh, fashion, specifically menswear, because I just had that passion. You know, dad growing up, I actually had to wear a uniform basically every day of, my life until college because I went to Catholic school growing up. And so we had to wear certain shirt and ties, that sort of thing. So I've just sort of always been in it. Um, maybe that's why, maybe there's some, you know, psychologic reasons why I chose this, but we won't get into that. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, so I'm like, how do I get to New York? And I thought, well, you know, for tailoring, you know, who, what do I respect and what brands do I know of that, you know, really embody the tailoring and though there's English tailoring right you know but I was much more drawn to Italian and there's as I learned as I got more into it there's different subsets of you know Italian tailoring so I was like well what I'll do then is I'll do I'll major in international business and I'll minor in Italian because I thought that could be a good thing to have in your back pocket because if I want to work in tailoring and I'm a fan of Italian tailoring it might be good to understand the language yeah, that's a
0: lot of foresight that's great so
1: um and my mom's family's italian but we're a couple of generations in so we don't really not too many people speak it, and eventually like sometimes my italian relatives would come over so i like a little bit phrases uh, and phrases like and things like that but nothing like well versed or well practiced or anything like that um so that's what i majored in um and i thought you know that was the path forward but then I realized I was actually terrible. I'm terrible at languages. <laughs> uh, I took, I mean, I, in Spanish, I took Spanish in high school and had a terrible teacher. Um, just barely got by um, with that. And um, luckily for me, uh, I was, when I was teaching Italian, I was so bad at it. Just like, I was just not good. But luckily for me, my teacher, she was Italian, but she was also, um, she was also loved fashion. So basically, uh, I got through that class is because I could basically talk to her about famous like Italian fashion designers. Going to say
0: you are like talking about like yeah the soft shoulder of a jacket yeah like, or <laughs> even just
1: like designer you know even talking about like you know Versace or Armani and, and that sort of stuff and and I could get away with not being a great student like technically learning the language or anything because I can engage with her in a in a way that wasn't so academic and so I think maybe. I had a little bit, you know, she was a little bit more sympathetic to me. It might not sound great, but I mean, I think I ended up with a B minus, a very generous uh, B minus, but then I realized, like, I'm not going to do international business because I had to do this for, like, two more years, and I was like, I just, this is not going to be for me because you had to have a language for international business, obviously, because, like, you know, English doesn't count, you know, and so, okay, I'm like, all right, so what, this isn't going to work. I need to pivot. And so I was just talking to my guidance counselor, right? You know, they're there for a reason to help you. And I said, look, this is my goal. This is what I want to do. I don't think international business is going to be able to do it just because I literally like I won't be able to pass. Um, And I'll be stuck here and it won't be great. And she goes, well, did you ever think about doing communications? And I was like, no, I didn't really think about that. And I was like, so let me, she's like, well, let's look into it. So we do a little research and I also call up Parsons, you know, like what kind of like people come in this program, right? This fashion marketing program, like what's their background? And they're like, well, it's usually like people who have like a professional career already that want to change or a lot of them are in advertising. A lot of them are in public relations, that sort of thing. They have a communications background. So I was like, oh, well, like this all kind of lines up. So if I need to get to New York, I'll switch a little bit and kind of go into the community communication school. So, um, I switched schools, went into communications and, um, basically it was kind of like, that was, I found my, I've kind of found my calling there. Um, I had some really great professors who really nurtured me and, um, gave me like a lot of faith and, you know, invested in me. And they were always like, you know what, Nick, you're good with people, um, you're, you know, you like to tell stories, which is important in PR. Um, you're a decent writer. You know, you have to be able to write, and have, be able, have to be able to write effectively. And she's like, and people, and she's like, also, you're just, you know, like I said ago, but you're just a very good people person, and that'll take you a long way. So uh, switched over, and um, I my um, I majored in communication studies, which funny, i I can laugh about. It. It's basically the major you get when you don't know what you want to do with your life, <laughs> uh, and I and I don't want to like. St- disparaging about it because what I learned there in that program, um, has been instrumental to the success that I have now, which is, you know, that was I graduated in 2010. So nine years ago. Um, but that was sort of like the best I could do at the time because I couldn't get into the PR program, the specific PR, pr- program. So I finished, uh, with the communications, uh, studies major of and then a minor in public relations. And then I also thought it might be a good idea um I don't know why but maybe it was more of an outlet for me that I would do a fine arts minor. Uh I didn't finish that because I had to stay like an extra semester and my whole goal was to get out to get to New York. Um so I was like I'll just not finish that. So um So what were you doing? I mean, I was, was it like painting or photography. Painting, or? It was a whole bunch of stuff, drawing, painting, uh, some photography work. Um, but I just thought if I'm going to New York and I'm working in an in a industry of aesthetics, it would be good for me to have some sort of uh, background or just like be able to talk to it and be able to understand, you know, things on an aesthetic level. Um, and also, I just, you know, also from a cultural perspective as well. I mean, I love Milwaukee. Um, I'm getting married in Milwaukee. So, you know, cause that's where I met my fiance, and we thought it'd be nice to go back and kind of have our moment there. And well, that's awesome. Our first date was at the Milwaukee Art Museum, um, which where we almost have our wedding, but we're not doing it there. We're going to another place that has a special place in our hearts. But, you know, there's culture there, but I also wanted to be able, if I was moving to a new city, which was this cultural bastion of, you know, everybody from around the world comes to New York, I wanted to make myself as worldly as possible growing up in a small town in a very tight community in which there's not much diversity and also going to Milwaukee and being a bit insulated from the uh you know the different people that are there because I was on a college campus and it's you know even though I went to a Jesuit school and they usually like to put themselves in neighborhoods that aren't for you know lack of a better term aren't like up and coming that sort of thing were still very insulated and I went to a place that wasn't very diverse either. So I thought if I'm moving to, if I want to move to a city, which is going to be diverse and it's going to be a whole new things that I'm never going to experience or see before, I might as well learn about things and try to expand my worldview. So
0: that's awesome. So, So what were some of your first jobs out of college then?
1: Okay. So out of college, um, so basically graduated, um, funny enough I will kind of re you know recant the story of when I found out when I got into Parsons so I put in my you know did my application did all that wrote your essays that sort of thing um, was nervous put into a couple places had FIT and Parsons either or was gonna be it but just because I had you know watched Project Runway and I just you know there was like Tim Gunn and like my parents knew that and then my kind of family knew that there was like a reference point for them. That I was like, all right, but Parsons is the place, and so um, put in my application, and then uh, in March of the senior year, I got uh, my acceptance letter. And you know, when you you get your mail, and at the time, I was an RA in, in college for three years, so um, I you know people always like or say like we get bad reputations, and as you go through and be an RA, you get less and less strict, uh, less and less uh, strict kind of each year, unless you don't, but you do because you realize, like, it's actually a stressful job and you just kind of, like, just make sure, like, no one gets hurt. Right. Basically, it should just it should just be your job. Sure. So, open up the mailbox, got the, you know, got the packet, was super excited, and all my residents at the time knew I was doing this because I always try to keep, you know, close relationships with those guys because I was on a floor of 35 freshmen in a building of 750 freshmen. So, um, it was, the building was, you know, Belovedly called the beer can because it was shaped as you know, basically a cylinder, but also just because it's like when you put 750 freshmen in tight, do- it's, you're just in Milwaukee. Lovingly, it was referred to that way. I mean, also there's truth to it as
0: well. But I mean, their baseball team's called the Brewers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everywhere you go,
1: it's it's just around. Um, and so I got the packet, and I'm looking at it. And my guys knew that I was waiting for this. I got it. They kind of gather around. I open it. And I, like, just, like, kind of, like, do happy dance, put on um, Cheesy Enough. I put on, because that was a time when, like, the Jay-Z Alicia Key song came out from right, New, New York. Right, New York, yeah, sure. And so I was like, oh, this is fitting. So I just blasted that, and we all just kind of had, like, a mini dance party to celebrate um, me getting into Parsons. Um, so kind of go back to your original question. Sorry to um, kind of go off topic, but. No, it's all good. So after I graduated, um, I have, I moved to New York, so I worked in Milwaukee for three months. I worked in the res life doing conferences because during the summer they shut down the dorms. But a big part of business is having conferences come to the university in Milwaukee, and having university housing is a very effective and you know nice way to make some money for the university during the summer. So I basically ran their conference services for the summer, basically just making sure everyone had beds and they could stay and whatnot. In August, I, my parents and I loaded up the Suburban and drove from McHenry to New York and moved me into uh, the, the residence hall. And so for my Parsons program, uh, it was a two-year program. But um, you know, education nowadays is very expensive. And I thought to myself, well, can I do this in one year? And so I asked them, and they're like, well, sure. They're like, you're going to have to take a lot of classes, um, but we can also transfer over some of your other classes too. And that was also one reason why I took communications classes and some art classes at Marquette, is because I could transfer them over. because I would, you know, try, try to think ahead. Be the yeah, I, I
0: see a trend actually. So like... just
1: trying, yeah, trying to put myself in the best position where I can succeed in a way. Um, so they're like, sure, you can do it, but like you got to take like nine classes. And I was like, well, okay, that seems like a lot. Um, but I did, uh, and so, but also interning at the same time, because the reason why I came to Parsons too, is just because of the networking opportunities. Um, so I had moved to New York and I didn't know anybody. I knew one person, but he was like a friend. He was a, he was the son of one of my dad's coworkers who moved to New York years ago and he was working for Donna Karen, but he went to the same program that I went to at Parsons. So I kind of, he was kind of a mentor along the ways, but I kind of came here not knowing anybody. And so, and also that's one reason why I went to Parsons as well is because I always thought I can go to Parsons. I can use that to build a network of people because it's so linked into all these, you know, it's a, it's a small world. It's a small world. Um, I can use it to build a network um, and I can use it to get an education and no one can take an education away from you. That's one thing my parents always, you know, instilled in me was like, you know, for them, education was extremely important. And so they're like, you know, no one can take that away from you. And I also thought to myself, I'll get an education. And then if I'm here for a year and it doesn't work out, I'll go back to Chicago and a Parsons on your resume looks great. Like I'll be like, you know, I thought, you know, I'll be like a celebrity or, or some sort of thing. Like people <laughs> will want, people really want that. Cause it resonates really, you know, resonates. It's on TV. Yeah. It's on TV and it's, very well respected sure so did my classes first internship I did was at DKNY and this is a very cool story because you know like I said I'm from a very small town didn't have a lot of exposure to these things but you have these these dreams of these sort of things and first week I moved to New York there's an internship fair uh, at Parsons go go to the internship fair get an interview at DKNY and for me like You know, that's a very iconic brand, very, you know, because, I mean, it's Donna Karen, it's New York. Sure. You know, being from, like, you know, like a Midwest thing, that was, like, something that you knew of, right? And have an interview, get an internship in the marketing department. And they're like, how soon can you start? This was, like, a one-week sort of thing. I was like, well, like, I have, like, three or four days before school starts. You know, like, let's just do right away. And they're like, great. We need you to work the Donna Karen fashion show. You know, and I was like, "What?" They're like, "Yeah, like you know here you know, like fashion. show." I was like, "You serious?" They're like, "Yeah." And so, like my first like week, um, or second week, it should be the second week here. Um, I small town Nick get to go to Donna Karen's you know studio over in the West Village to basically like work backstage, making sure, just doing whatever. And I was like, "Oh my god! Like, how does this happen?" Just in the mix. Just it was like basically like living a dream like what I've worked so hard for as like a 19 year old like you're I mean you work hard but like you're 19 so you know you have safety nets around you and things like that but being able to go and work Don and Karen's fashion show as like your first New York City experience it just gave you like I'm like how do I top this and it was kind of I was just in awe I mean sure it was hard work and you're running around and you're getting yelled at and all that sort of stuff but like I didn't care. Like right. I was there. Yeah. Like I was like getting to see the show. Like I'm backstage. Like I'm like making sure like models are lined up correctly. I'm like, you know, making sure that they look nice. You know, like I'm grabbing someone a water if they need it. Like I didn't care anything. I was going to do it. Um, that's, so, that's
0: also having youth on your side. That's also having youth <laughs> on your side. And like
1: they can just tell you what to do. Right. And um, so that was very cool. So um, being able to do that basically my second week in New York Having just a moment like that was like I don't like yeah I, like I still pinch myself you know like I said nine years later that um, I can I had that moment and I've been very fortuitous because from that moment on until now I've always had these I've been very fortunate to have moments of like where I still like feel like I get to pinch myself because like I'm in this I get to do this very cool thing and not many people get to have the opportunity to do it and I never like to take you know. That for granted because I I can you know I could do these things that are just so cool, and so that internship ended, and I was like, all right, I need to find a new thing, and you know that was marketing, and but I didn't really do too many marketing stuff. It was more like you know just doing reports and things like that, and I was like, I needed to find myself an internship where I could be more hands on, and a internship at Brooks Brothers came on the internship board, got the internship, and then I worked there for probably about nine months as an intern and then eventually sort of as an assistant. And my boss there, Dana Schiller, you know, I love Dana. You know, I still tax with her. Um, She was very instrumental. If there's one thread that we'll kind of get through, there's, I'm always aware of the people that have helped me along the way and they've always shaped me to kind of who I am today. Um, And she's one of those people that really kind of invested in me and saw my potential and made sure that, I was in positions to succeed and also to make sure to introduce me to people, not as just like Nick's our intern, but this is Nick. You know, he's part of the team. So when I'm doing market appointments or if I'm doing a press preview and that sort of thing, like, you know, if I'm talking to an editor at GQ, like I wasn't the intern, right? You know, I was Nick and I was part of the team. You were a contributor. I was a contributor. And so I did my internship at Brooks Brothers and I I loved it because I was like, it was, for me, it was a very exciting time because we had a, a lot of projects we had worked on there. Um, it's when Tom Brown was still doing Black Fleece, so I got oh, to meet yeah. Tom Brown when he was there, which was like I was like in an elevator with Tom Brown. And I was like, oh my God, like what is my life? That's awesome. This sort of thing. Um, I got to help out with uh, Great Gatsby when they did the costumes for the Great Gatsby. Yeah. Um, I did a little bit of like costume research, which was very cool to do. Because um, Brooks Brothers also has a very extensive archives, just because of their history, yeah, their age, yeah. um, Knowing all that sort of stuff, I got to work on uh, which I w- think is one of the best events ever. No matter what it is, is the um, St. Jude Christmas Party event that they host every year, where they have you know Broadway's st- you know shows come in and perform. When Marcellus comes in, it's like the best event. I you know I think you know just ever just for how much money they raise and the people and the spirit that it has. Um, I was very fortunate to get some really cool opportunities. And I'll tell you one of my favorite stories while I was working at Brooks Brothers. So I'm a huge Stephen Colbert fan. Um, every night I'd watch it. And it was always a thing that my dad and I would discuss too because he would watch it as well. You know, when it was a Colbert show. Right. And um, so this was right around the time when the Roe wedding was happening. And Stephen Colbert, Colbert show, did a series because Stephen was expecting to get an invitation to the royal wedding, but he needs to learn how the proper mannerisms for a royal wedding. Right. And so he does a three part series where he has like a royal expert and like he learns like the proper way to have tea and all this sort of different, the, sort of the different etiquette things. classes. Yeah. And, uh, but in Colbert fashion, right? It's parody, right? So one of the episodes is he needs to learn how to dress appropriately, and there's not too many places where you can find full-on morning suit, not like a morning, not like because you're sad, but you right, know, right, you know, formality morning, morning suit, dress, yeah, morning dress. Anywhere except perhaps you know Ralph Lauren and Brooks Brothers. Um, and Brooks uh, dressed Stephen for the show. We were going to film. A segment of the show in the store with steven getting properly kitted out for his morning attire uh morning dress and so i got i was there that day doing like being like kind of like not running the show but like because they had their producer but like i was like the guy the pr guy there because there's always someone who has to be around sort of thing for me it was a huge moment because i was a huge colbert fan sure and like being there like on the first floor Uh, with Steven and, and having him go through the whole hilariousness of the situation. Um, and like being upstairs, like getting him tailored and him, like just like walking around like the fifth floor, like in a tuxedo shirt and like his boxers and like playing pool and being able to do that, like was just like one of the coolest things that uh yeah I'll never forget that so like after it happened I just called my dad I was like never guess what I did and he was in his boxers. yeah it was just (laughs) like you know it was funny and it was just like a moment where I was like those were like one of the moments I was like a 22 year old being like like damn like I was just here hanging with Stephen Colbert so at Brooks Brothers I was open to like a lot of those really cool opportunities to do those sort of things you know, because they, uh, you know, we did like a whole Mad Men collection. So having like Janie Bryant come by and like do a whole event like that, because I was a huge Mad Men, am still a huge Mad Men fan. Um, that was another, just sort of seminal thing that sort of got me into fashion as well, because the clothing and that's very impactful. Absolutely. Um.
0: So those were internships, right? Those were internships. So were you? So, you were still in school. I was still in school. So then, what was your first job out of school? So
1: my first job out of school is I got it through working at Brooks Brothers was is they have um they, at the time they had a PR agency called HWPR and so Paul Lerner is another one of those people that have had a very impactful he's just a, such a professional I have such respect for what he does Paul was looking for somebody for a new assistant he needed somebody who was young green as he said that you know you know also cheap right uh that sort of thing that could come in and like just do a good job and I had known him because that was the agency that um, Brooks Brothers used so I had that connection but I kind of want to before I kind of get into that I kind of want to go back because this was like I feel like a bit of a classic New York story so once I finished school basically I had a month to find a job right I finished school I didn't have I I thought I had something lined up it kind of fell through so I kind of uh, was in a bit of a, a tough, sticky situation. You know, living in New York is expensive, especially like when you don't have a full-time job. And so basically, I kind of had enough money saved up for a month after I had, you know, depleted all my funds of going to school and that sort of thing. And, so that, so and that the that clock sort of is ticking. So clock is ticking. Um, so I basically had a month to find a job. So finished school, moved to apartments because that sort of thing. And that's where HWPR came in. That came my first job because basically the third week into my four weeks is like when I got the interview, and then like a couple days later I got the job. So I that's was...
0: incredible because like a lot of interviews and the the time in which it takes to get a job can be months. Yeah, and you've been like getting things like when yes. can you start? Yeah, the, you're I getting a job I've in been, three days. I
1: very yeah, and like I like I said, don't like to take things for granted. I've been very fortunate to have these things um i think a bit of it goes into you try you try the best to set yourself up to, for success in the best way possible and then you kind of and then it's out of your hands throw caution in the wind yeah. yeah and then it's out of your hands cuz you know it takes two you know like someone's got to hire you and that sort of thing but so luckily for me like i was down on the wire but i got the job so i was like i can stay in new york cuz if i didn't you know yeah it's amazing gonna, i'm out of money like i got to move back home that's just the way it is. And like I had set myself up for that possibility. I wasn't going to be disappointed because, you know, you know nothing ventured, nothing gained. Right. I moved out here. I had a dream. If I didn't do it, if I didn't get it, then it doesn't mean it's the end. It's just another thing I have to think about to try to get back out here. So, um, luckily for me, it turned out and it worked out okay. Yeah. So, first job, HWPR, uh, Paul Lerner, like I said, mentor. I respect him so much, really showed me what it was to be a good publicist. Um, just level of professionalism that you're, you know, a lot of times PR people can get a bad rap for being, you know, difficult or, you know, sometimes it's about them or sometimes, you know, they don't make it, you know, just making other people's lives difficult because they have to protect the brand in a certain way. But, you know, Paul always showed me that, you know, your job is like the conduit of information, right? So it's your job to take what your brand has and then put that out into the bigger world. And you're not there to be a hindrance for journalists. You're not there necessarily to say no. You're there to say no to things that aren't right, but you're there to be a resource for journalists and editors. So because you have to work together with them in order to get your end result, which is good press for your clients instead of trying to be difficult in that sort of way. You know, I always like to say you catch more you know, flies with you know, honey than vinegar. So, and that's sort of a bit of an approach that I take to my, per- like, you know, my professional career as well. Um, but, HWPR, two and a half years. And that's what kind of got me into the watch industry. So that's the kind of transition. So I didn't grow up with watches. Watches weren't a thing that were you know, part of my family. Um, you know, I wore like a Timex that I got from Target, that sort of thing, just because wanted to know the time. And, you know, I didn't have a fancy phone. I didn't get, you know, an iPhone until my first job here in New York City. You know, I just had a flip phone, that sort of thing. So, and Paul, Paul is like the watch PR guy, right? He, at the time when I started with him, he, well, he still has Audemars Piguet, um, Harry Winston, uh, F.P. Journe. So these were all brands, like heavy hitter brands. And these are all things that I had no clue about. You know, I saw them in magazines, but I just had no idea. So, Paul, I got very quickly introduced to a world that I had no idea about. Like, I knew suits because I it's a little bit easier to cut into. Um, you see them more often. And then also being at Brooks Brothers. But watches was I had something I had no idea about. So then I started working with Paul on all the watch accounts. Um and then I just started learning more and more. And that's kind of how I got my forehand watches just because he was the watch PR guy. And um, being able, and like I have crazy stories about watches too because like there are times where like I'd be like going home and like all the watches are insured, but that's kind of like I'd have to go to a set, pick up the watch and like bring him to the vault and I'd be like on a subway and I'd have like a million dollars a million worth of watch. yeah. watches. Just like in my, you know, at the time like Fill us a briefcase, because everyone, you know, hashtag menswear. I grew up in the time where you had all those blogs, and so, like, you had... Yeah, like, I was one of them. Yeah, so, like, you had, like, you know, you had, like, Michael Williams said a continuous lean, and, like, you had... Uh, oh, my God, you know, so, like, how to talk to girls at parties, like, Lawrence, and that sort of stuff. Like, you grew up, you had, you know, Sartorialist, too. I mean, he's still doing his thing, Scott, and... Yeah. I grew up in that moment of all those things that were there, and so that's how I got in the watches. And so I was there for two and a half years, um, working on watches, really learning the business. Paul was also very important in the fact that he gave me, um, he gave me responsibility uh, very early on to kind of run with brands, not those other ones, like those are his things, but as an agency, like you're looking to build your client base, right? And so, um, I was able fortunate to work with some brands and one I work with till today. So that relationships nine years, which is Autodromo. So Bradley price at Autodromo. Sure. You know, I was very fortunate to work with him very early on when his, when he just started his business and Paul gave me the challenge and the responsibility to help, you know, guide that and be a good, you know, person to work on that account. So I really appreciated that aspect, but two and a half years, was there, and I just got to a point where I thought, you know, I've learned a lot. Um, it's time for me to move on, and I was uh, very fortunate that I had made, you know, good connections with the industry editors and that sort of thing, and uh, I got an effort, uh, an email one day from Ted Stafford, uh, who was at GQ at the time. Now is at uh, Men's Health, and he goes, would you be interested in meeting with Jory at her manager, cause they have a PR position, a manager position opening. And I thought, I was like, heck yes. Like I'm going to do that because I thought that was the next step for me in my professional career. And it was menswear centric. Cause that's yeah, and a I major really brand. It's a, It's a billion dollar business. Yeah. Um, you know, it's one of the names in menswear, right? The respected names. And so I kind of was at a point where I was like, this is the right moment for me. You know, I kind of hit my peak at where I was at. And it was a very small agency. And I was like working on a whole bunch of accounts besides watches. Like I was doing like, I was doing like maternity wear. Like don't, yeah, not my wheelhouse. Not hashtag menswear. (laughs) Not hashtag menswear. Like not my wheelhouse. I apologize. I was, I probably wasn't your best ambassador for that. But no, we eventually got like Kate Middleton to wear it. So it came out. That was like the win, right? Kate Middleton wore it, so, um, and that, yeah, and then I worked in, so like, I worked in a lingerie brand, and so like, things that weren't in my, I just had no interest, and I think it's very important, um, if you're in PR, especially, and you have to, you have to be, you have to be passionate about the brands and the products that you're representing. And for me, I was a product person, like I love the intricacies of things, I love how things are made, and so it Made sense for me like to kind of go to Zenga too because it just had such a reputation of you know quality and craftsmanship. yeah. I mean, their Definitely. fabrics
0: are un, like world exactly. renowned,
1: exactly. Um, and so when interviewed there, um, got the job, um, within days, not within days, it took, it took, a <laughs> couple, it took like two weeks. It was like it was a couple like weeks, so like hired on the spot, no, wasn't hired on the spot, but went interviewed, um, got the job. Um, I remember, uh, you know, I remember. The day I went to interview, and I think everyone who has to go and interview another job is always worried about like their appearance, you know, going in for the day.
0: Well, and especially for Zenya,
1: yeah, and um, but also like going back to your employee at the time or your employer at the time, oh, right, because right. you have to figure out the excuse and all that sort of stuff. I had to wear a suit that day, and I'm like, I can't go back to the office in a suit because Paul is gonna, he's gonna know. So there's a hotel right by the office, so I was like, I'll just use the the bathroom there to change clothes. I go change because I'm and I'm but I'm so nervous and so so frazzled. You know, I thought I get out of the stall and I go to wash my hands and there's like a lady right next to me. She's like, I think you're in the wrong bathroom. So I was so frazzled. You walked in the women's room. The women's room and changed clothes. No one was like she was the only one. Like there's one other person in there, but like I didn't see anything. But I was like I was just so frazzled and I was just like thanks like. My mistake. She's like, oh, it's fine. Don't worry about it." So, so that happened. Fast forward, got the job at Xenia. Um, Loved it, just because uh, I was just such a fan. Like that, like being able to like work for a brand that you admire. You know, I think is you know it doesn't really it's not really a job at that point. And I know that seems like sort of like kind of like you know cheesy to say, but like I felt like I was like really in my element. So, I was PR manager for a little bit over a year. Um, and then I actually just switched careers a little bit, but still at Zanga. Um, I decided, I always kind of joked, I was really good at spending the money, but never understood like how we made the money. So I moved over to wholesale and worked on the wholesale side and was an account executive there for the sartorial side, not the sportswear side. And my client, the, the brands that I worked with were Barneys, uh, Nordstrom and Bergdorf Goodman basically my job was like I was just like look tracking sales of ties and like trying to move inventory around to make sure I could capitalize in sales and that sort of thing. But I thought it was a good move for me because I was still young enough in my career that I thought, you know, I have my PR background, I have my I have my network, right? But if I want to maybe do something different or if I want to be a better well rounded professional, I should maybe do this because this is like the business side of it, right? Sure. So I was like, let me go here and learn some skills. So I learned, like, learn wholesale and PR totally two entirely different things. But you know, I learned all these, you know, like markdown allowances and like you know, like all the terminology here when you're talking retail. So, so like, like I can talk. And also, I thought to myself, be like, sometimes like when you're having conversations with people that are in the PR world, you need to be able to be on their level and kind of. Show them why you you are necessary. Like, right, you have to prove why you're necessary. And so I could be like, look, like we did this campaign; it generated X amount. Like, obviously, you can track everything now, and it's much better understanding of like where sales come from and things like that. Um, so did that for a year, but then I just, re- you know, I realized to myself like that wasn't my passion. I was not someone who was, f- I wasn't going to be someone who I could just sit in a corner and look at spreadsheets all day, because what. That really showed to me, which was I had this idea of what I thought a wholesale was. I thought this was like part of it is selling the collection, right? Part of it is being in the showroom because, like I said, I'm a product person. I love being around the clothes, talking about them, what makes them cool, what makes them unique. But, like, I loved telling the stories about the clothes. But then I realized I only did that, like, a couple times a year. And then the rest of the year was, like, figuring out, like, just staring at spreadsheets, and event and so I was like you know what I'm just gonna reach out to some people um reach out to some editors that sort of thing and just kind of tell them get update my resume and just kind of tell them that you know I'm looking to get back into public relations and if they you know like it's a no rush thing I'll email some agencies that I know of um I'll email some of my editor friends and just to have it on their radar and luckily for me uh some couple things popped up. I have a couple interviews, right, at some agencies. And for me, it was kind of like, it's always easier to get a job when you have a job. So there's not really like, I don't really have any pressure. So sure, I wasn't like in a huge rush to leave it, right? Because I was in a comfortable position, you know, being in New York, I was making good money, that sort of thing. I was still with the brand that I really respected and loved, but it was just more like a personal thing. It's just like, this isn't, this I know is not what I wanted to do. So just sitting at my desk one day I get an email and I get an email from uh, Michael Williams from continuous lean pawn Williams has his own agency he's like hey Nick hope you're doing well um, I hear you're looking to make a switch would you want to have a conversation I was like sure and kind of going back to that hashtag men'swear thing um, like Michael is like like is the guy like for me at least like when I was I mean like reason why like I mean it sounds like reason why I bought like Philson. Reason why like I knew about Red Wing. Like reason why like I knew about these things was because like I read a continuous lean, you know, in college and like that gave me like reference points for things to like understand about whether it was like taste or whether it was product or was there a thing that like it gave me a path to kind of go down in order to refine my own likes and things like that. Went in, had the interview and went great, got a email from them being from michael being like we love to have you on board would you accept job offer and i said yeah absolutely uh so left xenia moved over to paul and williams so working with michael working down here in soho and i'm ecstatic because like i'm back into pr and it's also the client roster is kind of more you know it's in my wheelhouse right it's that menswear stuff it's like what i'm passionate about we had some big clients there like levis and patagonia and that sort of stuff and i you know for me i was more working on kind of like everybody else who weren't those two right because we had a big team and they required a lot and you have also other clients too and things like that and my i think kind of like my specialty or like what i was really passionate about was like you know working with brands and trying to like help build them right
0: so so people can understand cuz i think a lot of times pr is misunderstood by people. So can you just touch on what exactly you do like sure. in this role? That's a
1: Great question. I f- try to figure that out myself. Uh, it's an ever evolving <laughs> role. So, I mean, at its core, like public relations is like the representation of a company to like the external public, right at its core. That's like, if you look up the definition of it, that's kind of what it is. And there's like different facets that make up that sort of, bubble idea of what public relations is and over the past couple of years or several years like that idea has changed, right because we have instagram i mean that changed a lot of stuff just other ways of reaching people just other ways of reaching people so social media exactly so basically kind of like the best way i describe my job is is like i kind of take the cool stuff that you're doing i connect that cool stuff to editors who i know who will have an interest in this. And and since I've been working with a lot of these people for a while, I have a better understanding or I have a good understanding of what they would like. And I work with the journalist and my brand to create or produce a story in which it highlights the brand in a positive light. So basically taking an idea, finding an editor, working with them on a story, having them publish it and that publish and that story is then educates a greater audience. It's kind of like, stepping stone of how how that works i mean it's different now because brands a lot of times have their own communication channels that's kind of like the old way of doing it right calling somebody up sending a press release getting it printed nowadays brands have their own ways of communicating with their you know with their demographics with their customers with people who aren't their customers um so pr has to evolve with that and try to find its place because it's not just calling up people anymore but i do think there is a place for Being a person who is a good resource for telling stories. And that's kind of how I try to see myself as a person who's a good resource for journalists who want to tell cool stories. So cool. That's kind of my view on PR. I mean, there's other things that go into it, like, you know, there's event planning, there's social media, there's... What's
0: stuff. really cool is is the relationship aspect, right? Like, you yeah. have to have a relationship with the brand, but you're also needing these relationships with the editors. Yes. And it's not just about throwing parties. Like, a lot no. of people think no, PR no, no, no. is just, oh, yeah, all you do is party every weekend. Sure,
1: there are parties. Um, I sure. Mean, I, I mean, personally, I prefer, you know... They're fun, but I kind of like just run to go home at the end of the day and like hang out and watch some TV and that sort of thing. Cause you've already worked a full day and then you got to go, you know, work even, even later. But, um, that's part of it. And like that goes in the mix, right? That's goes into the mix of trying to generate energy, publicity, right? To create greater awareness around the brand that you're working with.
0: Absolutely. So then you're with Williams.
1: So I'm with Paul Williams, two and a half years, um, You know, I learned a lot. Michael was very important to me in the fact that he gave, like, he gave me license, right? There's a lot of times bosses who, like, micromanage or, like, you, you know, you don't learn things. But Michael, for me, was like, Nick, you're an adult. You're good at your job. Like, just do it. Like, just do it. Like, you need to have the confidence in yourself. To be able to know that you're making the right decision on these things. That's got to make you feel
0: like a million bucks.
1: Um, so he was very important. The fact that he was just like, you know what, Nick, like you're, you're good at your job. You're a professional. I wouldn't have hired you if you weren't good. So just like, like just do your damn job. And like, you're going to be fine and have confidence in the fact that you're good at it. Was there for two and a half years, got to work on. That's where I kind of came into my own and was able to work on the brands that I was like really passionate about. Like I said, because I'm a product guy first. I like sort of things, so that's when I started working with, you know, Drakes, and that's when I started working with Ring Jacket, and that started when I started working with the Armory, uh, you know, brands of that nature. Um, that's when I started working with Rowing Blazers. Um, it was all under Michael. Yeah, it was all when I was working with Michael. Are you a watch collector, but having
0: trouble finding something cool and unique? I mean, the last thing you really want is what everyone else has, right? Well, this is where my friend and former Standard Age podcast guest Tim Jackson comes in. He and his wife, Jana, own Passion Fine Jewelry in Solana Beach, California, where you'll find an incredible assortment of independent watches waiting for you in their shop and online. And if you're getting engaged, have an anniversary coming up, or simply have another reason to buy jewelry, they have you covered. Passion Fine Jewelry also employs a goldsmith on staff for any custom desires, so you're able to go that route if you so choose. Visit Passion Fine Jewelry when you find yourself in Southern California, but they're also open 24 hours a day at passionfinejewelry.com. You can also find a wealth of information through Tim's blog, independentintime.com, where he covers anything independent watchmaking related, uh, among a plethora of other information. So check that out as well. I've really enjoyed creating these podcasts on behalf of Standard H and sharing each of these personal stories with all of you. We each have goals, and it's the entrepreneurial spirit that inspired me to start the company. You can further support the brand and the podcast by visiting standard-h.com to pick up your choice of merchandise. And as always, thank you for listening. Lastly, if you have a moment, please rate and review the show. It makes a tremendous difference in keeping these things going. And now back to my conversation with Nick. So this so. is kind of the second time where you've like talked about working with people that you now work with under your own label. Yes. So are there just not any sort of things known as a non-compete clause? Like okay. how do, how does that happen? How do you take Sh- clients that you bring on? Sure. And then remove them from said business? Sure.
1: I always had this idea in my mind that I wanted to do my own thing. But then I kind of thought and looked back to myself and I was like, You're not doing that. Like, you weren't necessarily progressing and how you want personally and professionally how to do. And I always had this dream to have my own agency. And I remember the first time that, you know, when I interviewed with Michael uh, for my job, he goes, Well, what do you want to do with your life? Like, what do you see yourself doing? And I said, Well, there's two things. I said, One is uh, have my own agency, and the other is become president of the United States. (laughs) <laughs> and I said I think one of them is actually easier now than the other sorry political comment um and also constitutionally I'm not 35 so I can't run so I was like well then I guess I'll have to start my own agency so um I had an opportunity um presented to me that I just couldn't pass up. so my relationship with Hodinkee has been a long one so I've known them eight years nine years nine years um just because of my thing in the business in one of my great friend, Stephen um, the first time we met, and I know this is going to sound like a ridiculous story, is but I showed him two $1 million grinding complications from Autumn RPK. And I was like, we're like 23 years old, 22, and we're like, what the heck is this, right? So, um, and I just always had this long history with them. And so kind of when I was thinking about what I want my business to be, I kind of thought that like Hodinki would be a good partner to start this with because I had such a long history with them.
0: And you've seen them grow
1: and I've seen them grow and I've kind of been in it from a distance, but like I still had this connection to the people in the business because I was friends with them. Right. Sure. So opportunity presents itself. I come into Hodinky. I've sort of, pit, I, pit, I literally pitched them the idea of my agency. Um, and they're like, great, we'll be your first client. That's awesome. And, um, at that moment I quit my job and, um, you know, started the business. And so that was last November. Um, and then I officially launched Lawrence, a company, which is my one man agency. It looks bigger because of the internet, but, um, how did
0: you come up with the name? Why Lawrence? So
1: so Lawrence is my middle name. I figured, um, a lot of PR agencies are named after their founders, but I wanted like a low key way to do that. So like, if you don't know me really well, you don't know my middle name is Lawrence. Um, So that was just kind of like a little way around. Number two, it was my grandfather's name. So it's a bit of, uh, you know, honoring him. And three, I just thought it sounded kind of fancy. Like, it sounds nice. It sounds like, you know, Lawrence, oh, they like must have nice stuff. So I kind of thought like.
0: It's one of those old names that like still stands the test of time. But it's like a traditional, it sounds like menswear.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it kind of like, it kind of ticked those three boxes. Like I wanted something with my name, but didn't want to be so obvious. I wanted something to kind of you know to honor my grandfather um and then just when i just thought wanted something that sounded like nice yeah so it wouldn't have been like if you you named it larry like yeah (laughs) i I mean like larry and co i mean that's kind of fun but like i just it doesn't have the same ring to it you know i work with all these you know luxury products so i kind of had a if i build my you know on my website i want the brands that i work with to be proud and be a partner of a brand that, you know, they think will be successful and represents them in a right way. And sure. a lot of that has to do with the the name and the image that you project out to the world. So,
0: so what are some of those brands?
1: So I work with Hodinkee, uh, Drakes, uh, Ring Jacket, The Armory, uh, Autodromo Watches, and Stofa. So all very menswear. I get that. That's my wheelhouse. I understand. Um, but all, I think, have very unique value propositions and what they do and all things that I myself am very interested in. So, cause I think that at the, I think that is extremely important to what I do because I can literally come into the office any day and like, I know I'm working on things that like I personally like that you care about. Yeah. yeah that I care about. Yeah. yeah.
0: So you're based out of the Hodinki office. We're I sitting, do. we're sitting in the Hodinki offices. Yes. Yes. Now, how does that work where you can, do you rent your space here or is it, cause you're in house obviously.
1: So I, so, okay, well you can get, so I'm literally in the house. Hodinky is nice enough to let me sit here. They basically let me run my business out of here. So. That's I'm incredible. Just, I'm just gonna, you know, if I can be a value add in any sort of way of just being able to sit at my desk here in the office. Right. Um, Whether that's, you know. You see, you see a wrist shot on the internet. You know, a lot of times those—that's me. Like that's my wrist because I need to shoot something, or if like somebody needs something else, like I can be here and you know be an asset to um, the company in a way that I think would be a little bit different than having my own off. Eventually, I'm gonna get there, right? I'm just one year in business and. I'm just, you know, so you and James have a
0: very close working relationship with your hand in your left pocket. So
1: yeah, (laughs) yeah, you know, exactly. So yeah, you know, I got all, you know, I'm trying to invent some new ways, you know, some new poses, you can get a watch photograph, but we'll, we'll see, you know, there's only so many ways you can do it. But, um, yeah, but you know, eventually, you know, there's obviously a plan for this business, like I said, just one year in, but I kind of thought like, what would be the best way for me to do this? And like, literally like how can I have the least amount of overhead as possible when you're a new business? It's like, how do you cut down expenses? Right. I, I literally, you know, I have very few, I'm just one person. And usually rent is the biggest. And usually rent is the biggest. So, and, and you I'm got just, that like, taken care of. And I, and <laughs> Hodinkee, yeah, they let me, they, they're so kind to let me, you know, bother them for five days of the week. So. That's amazing.
0: How does your approach change based on the client you're working with? Like a Stofa is a totally different business than Hodinki.
1: Sure. It is. Um, And also businesses have different needs, right? So you have to kind of have an understanding of what they want, essentially. And then how do you build a plan around them to make that successful? So Hodinkee is a much larger scale. And kind of when I first started with them, one of the big things that we had kind of talked about is there had been a bit of a a lull in potentially like fashion coverage, Right. So as Houdinki grows, it itself is, it's it's an editorial, like it's a media company, right? First and foremost, it's a media company, but we also sell products. So as the product side grows, right, you have to be able to support that in a way, right? And so one of the big things for us this year um, was like, how do we get more coverage on the products that we launch? And how do we let more people know about it? And because if you're on Hodinkee and you're a Hodinkee fan, you follow all the channels. You're you're aware of all the things that are happening, right? Sure. But what are what about everybody else? Like how do we figure out other people who can kind of listen to us? So kind of one of the th- big things for this year was for me is like I need to start working on trying to get Hodinkee more editorial coverage as a product sort of a fashion thing, right? So one thing I think we've been really successful with this year is being able to develop relationships with you know, outlets that aren't Hodinky who will then write about the products that we produce. I mean, a lot of them are in the same sort of vein, so if you follow one, you might follow other. But like, you know, for example, like Hypebeast has written about us a lot, which I think is kind of neat in a sense that we're opening up a kind of like a whole other avenue for potential people who appreciate watchers. I'm not saying you need to buy them, but absolutely, maybe there's, a, maybe there's something that, you know, they think that we did something that's cool. And that's like, or or Heisenberg, for example. They've done some stuff that we've done over the year that they've written that we've written about, and kind of putting watches in a context that's not necessarily so. Um, um, what's the word I'm trying to look for? Um, uh, pretentious. Exactly. Like, I mean, it, it is a. You know, you don't necessarily need a watch, right? You can look at. Your phone, you can. Oh, there's other different ways to tell time. You don't need to spend a lot of money on a watch if you want one. Um, but you know, it's not necessarily about that. It's trying to talk about getting watches into a kind of like a greater context that it's just not the same people that we talk to all the time. So that's where I think we've had some success of talking to like you know the highest nobodies and like the high beasts of the world is because, you know, sir, sure, that's more streetwear, but they also appreciate things that are well made and that are made with thought and craft and have a story behind it too so even though watches can be pigeonholed in this thing i i've been trying to like try to put it out into a larger context so
0: yeah i mean i think it's really interesting um because you know the the, the focus on watches changes depending on who you are what your budget is all the rest of these things and, and what the perception is you know you don't look at swatch usually with the same you know eye that you would look at say patek sure with sure so sure. i mean that communication obviously has to change yeah
1: and um but for me it's just like i literally worn a swatch every day except like so i just bought i just bought a new watch for myself just a little anniversary gift for myself but i literally have worn, been wearing the same swatch for two years and i work in this world and it's just like i go to events and things like that and people which are like, which swatch was it swatch skin Okay. Yeah, the mesh bracelet, silver dial. Very not the one. System Fifty One. No, no. I I bought this before I even you know was in this my job here with Hodinky. I wore that every single day, and it'd always be cool. I could go to an event, and people'd be like, "Oh, what do you wear?" And like they'd be like flexing, like whatever. And I'd be like, yeah, "I got my Swatch," and I'd be like, "I'm totally cool with it." So,
0: how do you think social media plays? I mean, you touched on it a little bit. Like, how do you think that plays a role for you? I mean, it, I mean that's got to be a major component. So. Or is it not?
1: In my day to day like activities, it's not a huge component. Oh, okay. And I'll tell you why. It's more of a huge component in terms of the brand side, right? Creating that narrative, that message, and I'll work on that stuff too. But for when I'm doing external things to like talking to the editors of the world, the social media aspect doesn't really play too much into that. Okay. So, um, I think eventually what Lawrence and company will become, it will, that'll become a more important part of the business. You'll like have like a
0: social media person. They'll
1: be, yeah. There'll be, yeah. As the plan sort of develops and the company grows, um, you know, I'm planning on building out other avenues of just because I think you have to be able to add value always because it's just such a competitive landscape and the landscape's always changing. You have to be able to offer your clients just more than, what you just say you can do um because it's just it's a you know it's a tough pl- it's a tough place right now in terms of how media evolves how consumers are evolving how people are buying things so i'm always a big proponent of you know you can't just do one thing you can you could be really good at but like you have to always have another thing that you can add and bring to the table for your clients
0: so yeah well, I would say, by the way, congratulations on the one-year anniversary Oh, last thank month. you. Thanks. Yeah, so yeah. you went from zero clients, more or less, to, what, seven now? Yeah. Seven, eight, something so, like that? Yeah.
1: So, yeah, no, I've been very lucky um, to kind of touch on, uh, you had asked me that original question about the and, you know, I can kind of touch on that a little bit. So when I left uh, Paul and Williams, I I brought Auto Drummond with me, because Bradley and I had known each other for... You know, eight years, and that made sense. Um, and then I had Hodinky, which is an external client. And then I also brought on another brand called Amai Door, um, Beautiful store. If you're around, check it out on Mulberry Street. Really cool stuff. Um, so what I wanted to do was is I wanted to launch something that was kind of my own. I didn't want it to look like I took people. Like I poached them and like pulled them away. Right. Um, so when I launched Lawrence Company, I started with three brands. Two, I had very personal relationships with just because of my history with them. And then one, which was an actual thing that I went out and got, right? Um, I can't say I got it personally because I met, I know someone who worked there. Everything is all about who you know, right? So sure, they started with me. So I started with the three. And then my whole, my whole thought process around this was, is like, those clients that I had been working with at Paul and Williams and who didn't, who weren't with me at the time when it launched, I said, well, let me do this. I'm not going to go and like try to poach them, right? The way that I'm going to do my business is that I'm going to, I'm going to do a good job for the clients that I have. And then if those clients are happy with where they're at currently, then like, I'm all for that. Like if you, if you want to stay there and you are getting what you want, like, like, you know, it's, it's capitalism, it's competition, it's the free market. That's the way it is. But if you don't – or if you want to change, like, you know where to find me. Like, you have my email. Um, And that's the way I kind of went about it, which I thought was um, the right – I thought it was the right way. I try – you know, I'm I'm not a confrontational person. I try to be as nice as I can. When I left, I tried to do it in the way that I thought was the best way that I could. And if it wasn't, then – at least, like, I was, like, i go to sleep at night knowing that I tried my best to do it in a way that I thought was, like, you know, ethical and the right way to do it. Sure. So.
0: No, absolutely. What, um What's sort of been the hardest part for you?
1: <sighs> wow. Oh, so, yeah, one year in, I think the hardest part for me, it's it's the long term, right? It's it's trying to figure out, because I have, like, a wheelhouse of, like, what I'm really good at. Or, what do you consider that to be? Well, like, I, I think, like, you know, I'm really good. At, like I get stories. I know the editors. Like I can play stuff. So and, well, like, well connected. I'm well connected. And like, I also, like I said, like I only like, I like to bring good stories to people. Like I, that's what I think I'm really good. I'm really good at taking things and kind of putting them together in like a nice, you know, package and sending it to you and be like, this is why it's cool. And I think this is why like your readers will like it. I kind of do, I try to do the job of an editor before it actually gets to the job of the editor just to make their job easier. Sure. Um, but I don't think that business model will sustain or can go, it can be a part of something, but it can't be the end all be all of a business. And so the, the challenge for me right now is since I have, you know, five, six, seven, you know, sort of in clux clients is you do your day to day work and then you do your future work for them but then you also have to think about what your business is going to look like and how they are going to play a part in what you're trying to do going forward so the hardest part for me is like you get bogged not bogged down you do your day-to-day stuff but what time do you actually have to sit down and think about like all right like what's like what's the next thing I should do should like I hire an assi- like I'm one person do I hire an assistant does that make sense for me no that doesn't make sense like I don't need somebody who can come in and like just do reports and answer emails and traffic samples, things like that. For me, it's like, I need somebody who's like an account executive who can like run with things and like, that would make, that would make for me, would make more sense money better spent. So then I can go out and try to grow the business to add that next piece of the puzzle. So that's what I find the most challenging is you have your day to day work, but finding the time to reflect on what, this thing needs to be in order to be successful. So I'm technically like, I know it seems like like I'm like never not working because like when I do like I do my 96, 96, 30, 97 here at Hodinky, But then post that, I'm either, you know, out with an editor, just hanging out. A lot of these editors are my friends anyway. So it's more like I just, you know, I'm lucky to the fact that they're my friends so I can just hang out. Or I'm thinking about like, okay, that's that. But I'm also like my own accountant and I'm also my own, you know, you know, if you're chasing bills or doing like that, like doing all your expenses, like sure. doing all that stuff, too. So I think the hardest part is like being able to figure out the time it takes. You need to do your day to day job and do it really well. But giving yourself time and space to think about what you want your business to be while also at the same time trying to have a life.
0: Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. So what's been easy for you?
1: I think what's been easy for me is having and I don't mean this to sound cheesy or anything like that is just having like the complete faith of the, the brands that I work with to know that, that I am doing everything on my side to get them what they want. So I've been very fortunate that the brands that I work with, I've had long relationships with and it was been easy for me in the sense that I know that like they trust me with their stuff. Sure. Um, Cause there's always that process when you go out and build new business and that sort of thing. Um, you have to gain that and you have to be able to build it. But kind of the easiest thing for me is like being able to work in this industry, in this wheelhouse that, you know, I'm so passionate about with brands that like I was a customer first right? before I started working with them and that they know that I'm a person that has like their best interest at heart. Sure. Yeah,
0: yeah. So Um, how do you charge? Like, how do you bill? Are you on retainer typically by people? That's a monthly thing? No, it's... um, Per project?
1: It depends on what it is. So um, I like... I mean, I try, you know, retainer. Yeah. And then it's based on scale. Basically how, you know, what is required of the business. And then I, you know, I come up with a number and then I negotiate with each client that comes to a number, which we think is fair. That sort of thing. I'll also do some... Projects, you know, whatever, you know, I've done a couple projects, you know, whether it be like three months sort of thing, um, whether that's like a store opening or doing like a small brand launch, like I'll do that too. And then like I'll kind of build that out for turning on the fee of yeah. what the scale that needs to be. But mostly I run this on a retainer, just in terms of ease of it, right? If you can lock in a retainer and you can have people work with you and brands that you're passionate about, it's just, you know, and it's also extremely important your first year, I feel too, is because. You're already stressed enough as a new business owner trying to figure out like all these other things, like the last thing you kind of like, you know, you the money, right? So like if you are able to figure out a system that has a consistent cash flow for you, it takes a huge amount of stress off.
0: Going back to the watch thing, obviously being in the Hodinki office, you were wearing a swatch for two years. Yes. Prior to that, were you much of a watch guy? Like or is it is it no. just all pressure from the office? No, it's <laughs> not pressure from the
1: office. So I got spoiled when I was working at for for HWPR, yeah, at a what uh what fifteen four hundred ST right uh yeah. The forty what was the forty millimeter Royal Oak. And I had that and as like a twenty two year old just have no concept of what this was it was it was crazy like it was just like i had you to still a, have that watch no i had to give it back when i left. oh i see I yeah. see. they it was a loner so i was like hey guys i do your pr and i'm at these events i should be wearing your watch and like yeah no i had a lawyer i thought it was a valid thing but it was like crazy like just being on the subway and you're that young and you have like no idea and like you're like god this thing's so heavy <laughs> you're like it's because it's a heavy watch and you're like oh my god you're like And it's just there. And you're like, I can't believe I'm doing this. And like, you go home and like, I was living in like with three other people in an apartment and you're like, you have like your box and you make sure you put it away. And like, no one's going to steal anything, but like you're so particular with it. Sure. And you like appreciate it that much more and things like that. So,
0: so you got, um, a watch on your wrist now that you bought yourself as an anniversary gift. Yes.
1: Slash wedding gift, wedding gift Gift to myself. What what did you buy? So I bought a day just from 1970s. Um, Engine-tuned bezel, all stainless, because I I thought it was nice not to have that really shiny factor. Really cool. Uh, It's a gray dial here, Sigma dial, all that sort of stuff. So the kind of fun thing about it is it belonged to a guy who uh, apparently IBM used to give away Rolexes as gifts. He worked at IBM for 25 years, and he got this watch as a 25-year present. So on the back, it says in service of the gentleman's name and the IBM logo which I thought's very cool. Yeah. Um, cuz when I was going through this whole watch process cuz I I never really bought watches for myself. Like I you know I had some autodromos cuz I work with Bradley. I bought myself that Swatch cuz I I mean the the Swatch looks way more expensive than it actually cost me and I wear a lot of tailoring so it like fit really nicely underneath my suits and that sort of stuff. Sure. But I had never really bought a watch for myself. So like this was like the first watch that I know at the next level that i thought that i had really bought for myself so i bought this one and i was like i need something that i could like wear every day and like this was that kind of watch for me so yeah yeah
0: what uh you, you said that you've traveled in, historically obviously to italy and such but like what role does travel play for you now do you have to travel much for I work because travel seems uh, most of the connection either they have a brick and mortar in new york sure, or they have offices sure. here
1: i don't have to travel very often um i would like to it's you know it's not a regret but it's the one thing that i would love to do more of um i try to think myself of a worldly person i think living in new york and sorry if this you know sounds you know a little conceited or right now but you get to expose to a lot of other things that you know that's one reason why i love being here is like i like to be challenged i like to see things that are different i like to you know every day wake up and it's like a new experience in a way sure it's good or bad but it's new yeah and i'm a person that that doesn't like stasis right i like change um but and you know, travel is something that like i'm going to invest more in cuz i think it's extremely important but this year is a bit tough just because of trying to do a business and it's not going away and i i you know i have the fortune you know i'm lucky that i have some clients that do stuff in italy like for pity and that sort of stuff and i will get there for them you know i've done pity Couple times just for Zenya and things like that. But cool. I eventually will go there and that sort of thing. But no, no, not much travel as of late. So, which has been kind of good because it's the one less thing I have to worry about when you have all these other things just kind of going on in your life.
0: Sure. So. Well, as a New Yorker now, I guess. Yeah. So, a lot of people aren't car people here. You've worked with the likes of Maserati again sure. through Zenya. Are sure. you much of a car guy?
1: So, I'm an a car person in terms of aesthetics. Just because I, I I like work in the business of aesthetics. So I mean, what are like, you drawn
0: to? Uh,
1: I mean, do you own a car? I don't own a car. I grew my my. We didn't have car like cars. We didn't have fancy cars growing up. You know, my dad drove like an hour and a half every day to work. So like he needed stuff that was dependable. I mean, we had a Buick Century that we drove to two hundred twenty-seven thousand miles. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, that was my high school car um we had a chrysler 300m pro-am edition which was like i loved that car it had like the 17 inch chrome wheels it came with like two-tone seats ah beautiful car sweet um that got i had that in college which was like pretty luxe. um because i also worked in res life and we got like a parking pass so i got like the nice garage it was pretty great having like a car in college right that's awesome um that got passed down to my sister who Sorry, Claire, but you didn't take very good care of it. Um, <laughs> it really hurts me to this day, and this is like a long time ago. No car here in the city. Yeah, it's um, tough. Does it make sense for me right now or my lifestyle? I go to the Hudson Valley quite often, which I think a car might make a little bit sense. I mean, I take the train, which is so easy, but I like to get something that like, you know, if my fiance and I were just like Saturday morning. We're just like, you just want to go for a drive and like, let's just go do it. Then we would do that. But, so you rent a car? Uh, no, I mean, we'll oh. rent a car when we go for like some, when we go like two little vacations up there, I but it. it's usually just like a Chevy, like Impel or whatever or something like that. That's not too expensive or whatnot. So.
0: What do you guys do up there?
1: Well, I mean, I love it because it you get out of the city, right? I mean, they started a whole painting school just based because how beautiful it is. Like, you know, the Hudson Valley, you know, yeah. you know, painting, um, I mean, at heart, I'm really like a 67-year-old retiree who wish who wish he worked for, like, the National Park Services and gave tours of historical homes. Um, it's very specific, but it's true. That can happen. Yeah. I, mean, I would say maybe one day uh, when I turn 67. I, I, got, I got some years to go. Um, but we'll go up there to visit a lot of historical homes. I go up there because I'm a history buff, and I particularly love uh, 18th century American history, and there's, like, no better place to be technically than, like, here on the east coast and also the hudson valley because there's so much history there oh sure also there's a ridiculously good beer scene happening in the hudson valley um lots of really good beers um so i'm a big beer fan um what's so, your go-to do you give me a couple
0: right so, so hudson
1: valley brewery is delicious that's in uh, that's in beacon it's like drinking beer juice it's it's ridiculous it's so good um suarez is an also fantastic brewery industrial arts is also awesome uh, up there as well. Um New York has a pretty good beer scene as well. it's People coming here like there's um well there's Brooklyn Brewery and- um yeah, and, I'm sorry, Industrial, yeah. Industrial Arts up there. Their other half is awesome. Threes Brewing in Gowanus. Um also you know those like folks beer in you know in Carroll Gardens. There's and there's Grim over in East Williamsburg. So there's yeah, I'm a beer guy. So like having all these things around is like been really good the past couple years yeah
0: absolutely well i'm obviously based in san diego which is like world renowned for ipa yes Yeah. yeah. thanks to stone and yeah and ballast point and all these guys what what style of beer are you into
1: so i mean technically it's like new england ipas okay sure there's this stuff that's very juicy it's like uh kind of very hoppy very juicy um, i'm very lucky here that there's a fair amount of guys in the Hodinky office that are also big beer drinkers as well sure um so there's actually great beer bar i'm not going to give the name away from our offices because i don't want people to hit it up right spot but they have like a really good selection like new england ipas are really good um did sours for a while but then i feel like they just kind of blew out my taste buds so i am kind of yeah. like trying to slow that down a little bit so that's kind of my stuff basically anything that like <laughs> tastes like beer <laughs> that's beer i guess yeah it's just stuff that's easy and fun and kind of delicious to drink and there's a whole bunch of great stuff now that's just um that's fun i feel like you know beer is getting the wine treatment in a sense that people yeah. understand that there's all these varieties now and you can nuance. have fun with and there's nuance yeah and you can have fun with this sort of stuff
0: yeah so. for sure well you recently ate at carbone i see i did yeah how was that
1: excellent um i have yet to try it so it's on the uh, list. It's on the list. Okay. So I've no, know, I've known Mario for a little while because when I was at Xenia, um, Shauna Brooke, who is the VP of marketing, still a VP of marketing PR there was friends with him and we were doing an event. And so I would always do the celeb dressing sort of stuff in my capacity as the PR manager. And so I go to the store and he meets me there and I know who he is and I obviously there's no am hi- just the PR guy and he meet and we start talking and he's like I'm like all right so what do you want to wear for your event yeah and he's like oh I want to wear what you're wearing like my outfit I was like oh like you sure like there's something you know we have all this other stuff because I was just, I was wearing a blue blazer blue shirt navy knit tie and you know gray wool trousers just very simple you know and that sort of thing he's like no like that exact same look and I was like <laughs> <laughs> alright cool man so that's how I met him because I started dressing him for Zanga events and that sort of stuff and then for um, and we just developed a good rapport a good relationship um, and then uh, while I was working there I went to dinner there uh, I took uh, now my my fiance there for our five year anniversary went there got the whole it's such it's, a, it's just an amazing experience um, got the whole thing and um, you know, was so just taken back. Like the next day, like I brought like a tie to our waiter, and then like our, you know, the wine, you know, the sommelier brought like a bottle of cologne and all that sort of stuff. And I wrote Mario a letter. I was like, "You're successful enough. I don't need to give you anything." So um, that's awesome. And then yeah, and I just went back for uh, the fiance's thirtieth birthday, and she's she's been literally talking about it for like five years. Um, and so I was like, you know, this is the time to go back. And so, um, there were you know. Three months ago, I emailed them and just being like, Can I get a reservation? And they're like, Sure. So um, I don't, I'm not the one who like, a week before, don't do that. I'm not that. Right. Guy. Yeah. Right, right. I knew this was going to be a thing. Yeah. Um, so I was like, Just emailed and they're like, Yeah, of course. Yeah. I can. No problem. So that's awesome. Was fortunate enough and had a great dinner. She loved it. So she had a good birthday. So that's fantastic. Yeah.
0: What, um, so just kind of lastly wrapping things up. Sure. What advice would you give somebody who, might want to start their own PR agency and or just dip their toe in PR?
1: Sure. A couple things. If you want to start your own agency, um, I think what you like in order to be successful right off the bat or to build towards success, I think you have to have, you have to be able to have some things in your back pocket, right? You can't just like go out and you can go out and just start something and then like work for business, right? But I don't necessarily think that's like sort of sustainable. I think what you kind of have to do is you have to have like an idea, and you have to work on it for a while, and you have to really develop a relationship with people around you who will then invest in you, whether that's money or time or that sort of thing, and you take their advice, and then when the opportunity presents itself, then it goes out. Sure. I think you have to, you know, I think it. You don't have to do it this way. You can do whatever way you want, right? This is the way I did it, and I've only been doing it for a year. Who knows where I'll be a year from now? But at least. I got through a year and in all intents and purposes, I feel like it's been a success. Um, But the way that I kind of looked at it, it was like, I knew I had something and I didn't make that jump until like, I knew like I, like I knew I could sustain it. Right. Like I, I wasn't, I wasn't interested in like going out and finding an investor. I wasn't interested in like looking for equity. I wasn't interested in that. I was interested in, trying to build something that was going to be mine that I didn't have to give anything up Um, and then being able to have those clients there who would be partners you got to find people who will want to be partners and invest in you and I think I've been able to do that and that's just because I've been in this for a while right and I've built these relationships and you know they value them as much as I value them so if you want to get into PR I think you have and it's this old everyone's gonna say it but I'll say it too you do you are right you had mentioned earlier there's perception that it's all fun and games and that sort of like stuff yeah. no it's not <laughs> um, you do have a lot of fun and I'm very fortunate that I'm in a position that I get to work with brands that are like I personally have an interest in so every it's even more fun yeah but you will work on like like I said I worked on maternity wear I worked on like launch like, like that's not fun to me like those were like the weirdest market appointments ever being like <laughs> Here's the thing. Like, I oh, yeah, just take it. Whatever. Yeah. Just sh- hopefully you put it in the magazine, right? There was like no passion behind cuz it just like wasn't my thing. Yeah. Um I think you got to be able to I think one is uh never think that the job's too small. I think people and, and that's not like oh we have to go get coffee for something like that. Right. Never think that like you might think for a minute that that job might, or that task or might be irrelevant. But there's always a lesson in that thing. So don't forsake that. You know, pay attention. I think another thing is you should know is like understand who you're actually writing to and like the audience that what you're trying to tell your story to. Right. Um, that was a lesson that I learned on really. Early on, is that like, don't send something to somebody that has, it's not gonna be relevant to anything at all. And even if it's like, you have to because it's like a client, that sort of thing, you know, people hire you because you're supposed to be an expert. So it's almost on them if they don't take your advice, right? You'll do it because that's your job, sure. but you're there to tell them when you think it should be different. So I think learning and understanding like, that balance of who you're emailing and like what they'll like and just being cognizant of that. Because like I said, learn to be a resource, learn to be an asset. Don't be the person who like, Oh, I got another email from that about a product that's totally irrelevant to me. Right. I think learn to be a decent writer. Don't be great, but you gotta be able to take a big idea and basically put it into a paragraph. So learn how to be an editor in that sense. So learn, how to be an effective writer. I'm not a great writer. I'm a decent writer. My, my editing skills are terrible, punctuation, all that sort of stuff, but that sort of thing. But I think I'm decent at being able to take an idea and kind of put it down and make it interesting for somebody. So I think learning how to do that is extremely important, especially early on because you will get jobs which don't think – like you might not be even doing pitching, but, but pay attention to those things of like how they're phrased. And it's also, also is extremely helpful if you have bosses who allow you to do that and give you a license and we'll be able to mentor you for that. Because I've been very fortunate that from where I, I wouldn't be here now if I didn't have those people who invested in me and who thought that I could do a good job.
0: Sure. So, That's um, fair. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, it's like I wouldn't. You know, they gave me the opportunity. And you have to take it, obviously. But um, there has to be the opportunity. So, That's awesome.
0: Well, speaking of opportunities, thank you, Nick. Well,
1: oh, thank you for having me. I'm uh, so excited. Yeah, this man. Is, this is uh, super I'm fun. always used to not, I'm used, always used to talking about other things, not about myself. Right. So um, it's kind of interesting and fun to be on the other side. Yeah. So. That's
0: awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time, man. Really appreciate it. Of course. It. Thank you for having me. Great to see you. Cool. Thank All you. All right. See ya. I'd like to thank Nick one more time for the conversation. Really enjoyed hearing his story and how he's come so far in such a short amount of time. Also, a big thanks to Clear Audio for providing the headphones for the podcast. And big shout out to Jensen Reed and Super Beautiful for providing the theme music. Thanks so much, everyone. See you next week.